0: So this one is the budget meetings, um, and you can see uh, the the package guy, uh, delivery guys coming into the office on that first frame saying, hello, anybody here, Cameron, Zoe, looking for the property staff. Nobody's there, looks down in the, in the dungeon, basically. Here's all sorts of crazy noises. Cameron, are you down there? And then he walks in, and there's the owner. So this is you, Chastin, Darren, you know, uh, C-suite with the meat cleaver on the budget. Um, and uh, there's uh, the RPM with the nunchucks. Uh, and then Cameron's got the, the beat up eye and whatnot. What the hell? Holy hell! What's going on in here? And she says, "Well, we're just we're just working through next year's budget."
1: And what is that? What is the number
0: one rule of budget planning? Yeah, what's the number one? Yeah, you do not talk about budget planning. So that was just a rip off on Um, But yeah, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into our our panel. And I'm going to make just quick intros. I mean, you can see it on the screen. But then I'm going to give uh, Joy and Chastin and Darren a chance to just. Uh, do a self-intro to tell you a little bit more about their portfolio. Um, I will say up front, this this was deliberate. All three um, of these companies are predominantly third-party management, and what's cool about it is we also have representation from pretty much all all sides of the country, meaning we have East Coast, West Coast, Chaston's up in Seattle, Joyce, and and Charlotte, and predominantly the RKW portfolio, and then Darren's in Texas. Um, But yeah, why don't I hand it over to you guys and tell us a little bit about your portfolio, and then we'll jump into it. Maybe I should say who goes first.
2: Uh, Joy, why don't you start? Sure, absolutely. Uh, First of all, thank you um, to Digital for inviting me to speak today. Um, My name is Joya Pavesi. I'm the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Strategy for RKW Residential. Uh, We are a third-party, strictly third-party property management company on the East Coast. Uh, Our corporate office is in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we are a young company. We're just five years old. But we have 20,000 units that we manage, and we are in six states, primarily from Virginia down to Florida. Um, my background I've been in multifamily marketing for a long time, over 15 years. I previously um, worked for Camden Property Trust for a long time, and then also with Graystar before moving over to RKW. Awesome. Thanks, Joya. Uh,
0: we'll go east to
3: west. That means you're next, Darren. Of course. Uh, Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, My name is Darren Williams, president of Portico Property Management. We were founded in 2011, uh, so it's sped up on us real quick. We're already having to think about what a 10-year anniversary looks like. Uh, We are primarily in Texas, all the major markets there. Got offices in Houston and Dallas, but we've also started out now. We have four properties in Denver, and then our next target is Phoenix, but primarily going to be a In a Southwest uh, Sun State's company, we don't want to be huge. We just want to be really good in about six or seven markets. Uh, So right now at about 11,000, 12,000 units, strictly third party. Uh, And I didn't start in the industry. Uh, I was in consulting and hospitality. And I actually think the hospitality background has helped me quite a bit because when when I first got into apartments, they didn't think in terms of resident satisfaction. Now they very much do. And uh, I feel my background helps quite a bit there. No doubt. And
0: I think more and more, we talked about that a little bit in our run-through, but it seems like the industry is recruiting more and more from hospitality, I guess, seeing the synergies and the benefit also of having somewhat of an outside opinion, um, which uh, can be very welcome, you know, when you get, I guess, used to doing things a certain way. So anyways, Chasten, why don't you uh, clean up here?
1: Sounds great. Uh, My name is Chasten Fulbright. I'm a principal and co-founder of Blanton-Turner. We're located in downtown Seattle, and we serve the Pacific Northwest. Uh, My partners and I founded Blanton Turner in 2011, so we are also coming up on 10 years. Uh, We currently have 7,000 apartments, 2 million square feet of commercial and office, and a strong portfolio of student housing. Uh, We are a passionate group of authentic and strategic trailblazers. Uh, We collaborate with our clients to create those exceptional experiences in our residential retail office and student housing communities. Um, We are also are not out to be the biggest management company. We're really focused on working with our core group of clients on boutique properties across the product spectrum. Uh, And we're really deeply involved in the neighborhoods we manage in. Uh, We believe every property has an impact radius. So we join boards of business improvement areas, affordable housing nonprofits, and other community organizations in order to give back. Happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, thank each of you for being here. We really appreciate your time and your expertise. Um, so we'll dive right in and maybe we can work, start with you, Chaston, and work back to Joy this time. Uh, but I'd just like you guys to share with, with uh, you know, our attendees what your current climates uh, look like. Um, again, very different regions, um, but I'm sure grappling with a lot of the same, same challenges. Uh, it seems to always right now start right with COVID. Um, and then kind of trickles down from there. But uh, yeah, Chastin, what, what are you seeing right now in Seattle? Uh, what, what's got you most concerned? And, you know, are there also some areas of optimism?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Seattle has been one of the fastest growing metropolitan areas in the U.S. for some time but that growth, like many urban centers, has definitely stalled. Uh, We also currently have 23,000 units under construction, while our vacancy has increased to 7%, and rents have already dropped 5% in the overall market, with rising concessions currently near two months free. On top of that, student housing, which we have a good portfolio of, is hovering around 50% occupancy, so overall, it's a challenging environment. However, um, we have a our, our economic job core remains strong with Amazon, Costco, Microsoft, and many other headquarters here, and strong investments by Google, Facebook, Apple, and aerospace in our market. So um, we do think that we're going to have a strong recovery once uh, the pandemic is mitigated. Um, and, and really that is our, uh, what we're most concerned about, is how the pandemic is mitigated and how we uh, can stop the spread of the coronavirus in order for us to open up, get our retail open, get our schools open, and get our um, office communities open. Um, you know, the optimism side is that uh, tech remains strong and uh, w- Seattle is still one of the most beautiful places in the country. Um, so people still do want to more, move here.
0: I it's as to that. I spent a few years there. It was, it was beautiful. I think I told you that, just I may not have, but the first <laughs> summer I went up to Seattle, it was, you know, quote, unquote, one of the sunniest, most beautiful summers on record. And I remember telling my wife, I was like, we are never, ever leaving here. And then the next summer, it was one of the coldest, rainiest, worst <laughs> summers on record. I was like, we got to get the hell out of here. <laughs> uh, but right. yeah Kill, killer city so appreciate that context um and i just want to give you all three of you a heads up I'm, I'm curious to hear a little more about the concessions david pointed a little bit of that this morning um i think you had six weeks as the average but you're saying two now is where it's at in seattle and i know that's a big part of the equation for for all of you and how you're approaching your markets but darren why don't you uh walk us
3: through uh what you're seeing in texas Yeah, I'm happy to. You know, obviously Texas has been the darling for a long time. The last 10 years, just giant growth. And we've been having a lot of that as well. So good overall. I think if any, look, we didn't know what was going to happen. We still don't. If anybody's telling you they know what's going to happen at this point, they're trying to sell you something. Uh, But I would tell you that it's turned out better than our first prognostications in March, April. In fact, we were stress tests with our owners to say, we don't know what collections are going to do. This could get really ugly. And I think we ran stress tests, you know, 75, 80% of collections to try to get ahead of it and say, what would we do? What will it look like by all measures, that's not gotten that bad at all? Uh, Our average collections have kind of averaged around 95% since then. We think a lot of that was propped up by stimulus and extended unemployment. And so I think there's an unease right now among our clients and us. What's going to happen now that that's tumbled off and it, some, something new hasn't replaced it? But I would tell you, if you would have told me this is what it would have done back in March, I would have been very pleased. It's been a lot more resilient and strong, and our residents have stayed and are paying for the most part, depending on what submarket. Of course, all of it's some, somewhat submarket dependent, but I think it's been a lot stronger our pivot really read, and we talked about this the other day, uh, is optionality. I mean, we've had to change our processes and procedures. I know anybody on this call that's in the business has had to do that. And optionality has been the key because as we've seen, and I think you can see if you watch the news, although you shouldn't watch the news at this point, it's bad for your stomach. There's a (laughs) wide range of folks. We have folks that come in and say, I don't know what the big deal is. Show me an apartment. I don't need a mask. Then we have people that say, this is one of the most important and serious things in the world. These are our clients, right? And so we have to have that spectrum. And so we pivoted hard to what the buzzword of optionality. We, yes, we'll find a way to safely show you an apartment, but if this concerns you, then we have many ways through virtuality or through, you can show yourself. We had to have the gamut really quickly because we can't predict what our residents and prospects are going to want. So we just have to have the whole buffet ready.
0: Yeah. Well, again, great context. Love the word optionality. And then I want to get a little at that from the marketing front. Like, you know, how do, is is flexibility now, like, kind of paramount as far as what and how you're marketing uh, to prospects? Um, versus, you know, what may have been historically like amenities or just typical stuff, price, pets, location, you know, that kind of jazz. Is it all now about flexibility to bring in residents? So, Joy, yeah, why don't you tell us how things are looking in Charlotte and on the East Coast?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'll speak to our two major markets, um, Charlotte and Miami. Um, And I think the story in both of those markets has really just been um, new deliveries. Both markets have had very strong pipelines, 13,000 in Charlotte projected, and then for Miami, 15,000. Um, Charlotte's been very strong. Absorption has been great for this market, but rents have been fairly flat. Um, And I think where we're seeing the real challenges in the A space, and that's primarily all of the new stuff coming online. So there's just a lot of really nice new product. Um, Miami has struggled to absorb at the rate that Charlotte has. It's been good, but it hasn't been as strong as Charlotte's, um, Charlotte's absorption. Um, And the rent story there is, you know, could be better. It's not terrible, but it's not um, certainly not strong. So uh, Miami was hit the worst because they are the second largest um, after, um, after Vegas. They're the second largest service industry in the United States. So there was a lot of job loss very early on. Um, But they're open, and Charlotte is projected to open to phase three this Friday, so we'll see how that goes. The South has been a little bit more conservative. Um, But we have had to offer, you know, the flexibility, the optionality, so we offer virtual tours, self-guided tours, in-person tours. Yeah, well, that's great. Um, I'm
0: curious, and Chas, I, I want to say uh, you were the one that brought up Airbnb, but I thought it was an interesting answer that, that I hadn't been as much as far as what the biggest disruption has been in, in your markets or you see potentially unfolding over the next few years, in particular for third-party management. So if you don't mind picking us up there, and then I'd uh, be curious to hear uh, Darren and Joy's answer
1: yeah absolutely. Um, you know I think that the disruptors there's there's a lot of companies out there uh, with the startup mindset who are able to pivot towards opportunities really quickly. Uh, real estate management has not been a an industry that can pivot very quickly in comparison to uh, to software startups. And so you've had Airbnb that has been able to pivot throughout their existence. And now they've gotten into uh, the advertising of longer-term stays. And you know, it's not, wild, it's not that we've seen a strong show, it's just the fact that they're able to pivot so quickly is a disruptor and could either present us with huge opportunities, or um, even take market share away from us at some point. Uh, Flex term stays in general and the automated systems, like that's the biggest win with Airbnb, is um, you can go into someone's private home uh, completely automated. And, you know, we, it's really hard for us who have been doing this for decades to provide that in a vacant apartment. So, you know, their ability to pivot is really strong and we need to learn some things from them before they just start doing our jobs for us.
2: I would just add on to that. There is a a company out of New York called Common and they have um, a a co-living model. It's kind of private room rental and very similar to almost like a a WeWork model where people can, it's membership based. So they can have a membership and then leverage different rooms in major markets and cities based off of that membership. Um, And, you know, that's in the major cities, New York, San Francisco, LA. Um, But we have also been seeing uh, buy the room rentals in places like Miami with ex-Miami, which was a really big story. And it was a co-living story. Uh, I think they got off to a rough start and they've certainly had challenges since COVID because a lot of people who were renting um, you know, by the room um, came from foreign countries and have since gone back or returned. Um, so they've struggled um, in that model currently, just in the current environment.
3: Darren, anything to add there? there? I mean, they did a great job, so I don't know that I have much to add. I would pivot and just say that I think, and I like what Chaston said, we have to be looking at opportunities, the right word, but I feel that we don't just compete with Other rental, you know, I just don't. I don't just compete against Graystar and then Airbnb and Ciggle. I think we compete with everybody in some way or capacity. I'll give you an example. When a resident comes in, uh, they are comparing us to every cool company that they like. Right? I mean, they like Amazon because they click a button and something shows up the next day. They like Uber because on their phone and it tells you, "I'll be there in six minutes." That is what they're comparing us against, and I think that's a good thing. I think that disruption makes us move faster. But when we look a resident in the eye and they come in and we don't have a good system in place, or we say, I'm so sorry, you can only pick up your package during this time or <laughs> I can only do this. Guys, they're not comparing us to the building down the street. They're comparing us to the world and they're wondering why we don't have our shit figured out. i um, sorry, pardon my French. But that's really yeah. what they're, that's what they're wondering is why don't you have this figured out? And so I've been pushing our teams. We should be looking at people. Well, every company outside the industry, if they're delivering a service, that's what we're being compared against
0: yeah i love that comment i'm going to do give you 30 second anecdote it just rings so true David may already be anticipating when we bring up but i had spent a lot of time in local media most recently the never post before again we started digital and as a newspaper you know they're under tons of disruption right and so they were looking for ways to keep themselves relevant you could say A lot of it is building new products, in particular digital products. and We were building an app um, that was, you know, what's happening in and around Denver, what's happening in and around Austin. And I remember at one point we asked, uh, should we include a weather component to this app? Because that would give you some sense of like where or what you should be doing. And somebody in the room basically made the point you just did there and and, and chastened, which was guys, hold on a second. If we build a weather app or component into this, you know that's going to be compared against Google's app, right? Um, or Weather Underground or what, Yahoo. Like, we don't get a pass because we're a newspaper or because people like us locally, right? They're going to compare us to the world. So I think it's, it's just a great point that you're making. Um, I, I want to ask, uh, as staying kind of on the disruptive thread, briefly, you mentioned, Darren, we talked about this a couple days ago about star but just um, whether you guys see that uh, kind of that, uh, gorilla being a disruptor uh, for you guys um, or in your markets. There's a lot of M&A happening in the industry. Um, we're seeing a lot, of course, on the ILS side. But when you look at third-party management, there's been such a proliferation of it over the last several years. Um, but there but there still are a couple of these really big um, PM companies that are you know now merging or um, acquiring others. How do you guys feel about that? Do you think that there's room for a lot more third-party management companies as you look at the years ahead, or do you think it's starting to become a crowded space? Got
2: it. I think Graystar and their size is good for the industry. I think that they're going to help push us forward. They'll bring new talent from out, you know, other industries um, into our industry, which I think we need. Um, we need to be more innovative and we need to be more technology focused. So I think it's good to have companies that have the ability uh, to attract that level of talent. Um, I think that maybe some of the other speakers today have. Uh, um, Maybe don't believe that the big three players from a property management software um, are progressing, but I think having um, behemoths like Graystar in the industry helps put pressure on those um, software companies to help us advance because that's really one of our biggest challenges is that, you know, our residents, the biggest check they write every single month is to us. Um, and our technology is falling behind, um, and we need big players in the industry to put pressure on the property management software companies to help us get there.
3: Aaron, Chess? Yeah, I mean, I won't add much here. I mean, is trying to buy us right now, so I don't, like my lawyers <laughs> say, I can't comment on it, Reed. Um I'm just kidding but I don't have really, I think it's probably a net good, right? I mean this is just the way the world works, guys. There's not an industry where somebody doesn't try to aggregate the power and all that and I don't think this is a zero-sum game in real estate, I just don't. It is in certain industries, I mean Google is now the search group. There's no other group that's chipping away that, oh, let me check out another way to search. Google can and guys, it blows my mind that in 0.7 seconds, they give me everything I want in my screen and on my phone they're the night they're the 900 pound gorilla and they're not going to chip away at that but that's not how real estate works so i applaud gray star uh it never hurts us really because the type of clients that we're working with are the ones that want a more personalized boutique approach and that's not Graystar's approach and they don't sell that approach and so i think there's enough room in the pie so it really does honestly every time they buy someone we get a few of the shakeouts that go, I don't want that. And I'm coming to find you. So to me, we can use their help on the lobbying side, right? They can go in there and start fighting, especially right now. Can't evict people till 2030. It's helpful to have some lobbying arm out there that can really go push it. So I have no issues with it. It hasn't hurt us. And I don't think it'll hurt the really high performing, smaller and medium sized properties. So again, this is Somebody's buying a $70 million building. They want somebody who's going to pay attention to it, do a really great job. And I think we can do that. I think mean, Graystar can do it. But once you've established those relationships, uh, there's really no reason to switch. So it hasn't hurt us and we're supportive.
1: Well, cool. well, I'm, Oh, sorry.
0: No, just go ahead. ahead. i just to say if there's anything bad for me to do
1: Yeah. 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 Well, I'm, um, I'm not so threatened by Graystar, certainly in our marketplace, you know, like Darren, we provide a boutique product for, uh, you know, a different type of uh, client. But I, I will disagree with Joya a little bit. Um, well, it's not disagree. Uh, while I see that Graystar and those large companies can advance the industry as far as software adoption goes, you know, I, software adoption happens at a very innovative kind of a scrappy level with small innovators who come in and bring in a new and interesting approach to things. And it is, um, and when, when you kind of get the big gorillas in the room messing around in that, it really gets uh, dumbed down. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about that integration concept and how, uh, much of a falsehood that is, that none of this stuff is getting integrated. And I actually feel that the companies like Graystar, where they're solving for themselves first, um, is actually preventing us from making the big changes. Wait, I think what I was trying to say is that it's not leaving any room for a small agile um, uh, company to come in with a new product and get any market share. You know, they can solve for people my size, but they're not gonna do all the things that I need them to do or that my clients expect them to do. And then you've got the big gorilla out there who, you know, they may acquire all these small guys, but they're not gonna integrate them very well. And they're actually, I, I think, while it's introducing new technologies into our industry that we've really needed, we're not getting the the game-changing stuff that, you know, Airbnb is Rolling out tomorrow. Uh, yeah, that, that's where I struggle with it.
0: Yeah, I think both perspectives are fair, and I'm sure you enjoy it can go around and around for you know another twenty minutes on that one. But uh, let's <laughs> move on um, to another. Uh, I think it's fair to call it a disruptor, but I think this will be interesting to hear how uh, operators are seeing it, and then you know on the marketing side. But self-guided tours, you know, uh, and virtual tours, has been a big part of naturally result of COVID. Um, and when we did talk a couple days ago, uh, I thought it was interesting, and maybe I should have assumed this, but that owners might be seeing it as an opportunity, right? Um, you know, as far as, you know, uh, folks, you know, it, at the office, like, do we really need the, the same amount of staff as we did before with this change? And a big part of that is, will the change last? That's something I don't think anybody can fully predict yet. Um, but how do you guys feel about uh, virtual tours, self-guided tours, what that's meaning, and then, you know, any pressure that you are feeling from ownership, I'd love for you guys to share uh, your thoughts or some of those conversations and enjoy it. Um, For you, I'm curious how much you've seen it as a good thing to like market, how challenging it has been um, to market, um, you know, some kind of tours, virtual tours, things like that. So uh, I I guess I could start on the marketing front, Joy, if you don't mind. Um,
2: Yeah, um, so I think we were very uh, apprehensive pre-COVID. Um, you know kind of tipping or dipping our toe in the pool so to speak when it came to self-guided tours because we couldn't really I mean there's a lot of logistics um, in how you roll that out um, workflow and training the teams and COVID really just pushed that forward and we had to embrace it quickly and it actually really has been very helpful it allows flexibility from a marketing standpoint I mean, you put it on the website, you can schedule directly from the website. It, it is completely contactless if the person, if the prospect wants it to be. Um, so I think that it's just accelerated. It's been accelerated because of the current environment. Um, so we're testing it and we, are, we will probably roll it out on 60% once all of the budgets are done for 2021.
1: Joel, cool. Derek? Yeah, you
3: know, I... Look, great technology and innovation comes out of disruption. It's just the way the world works. And I'm not saying it doesn't come out in other times, but that disruption causes it to, just like Joya said, kind of accelerate. I think it's net, net a good thing. I, I, I have two anecdotes that, though, kind of put me on both sides. You know, one will age myself, unfortunately. I was old, I'm old enough to remember when ATMs were first rolled out. And I remember my grandfather saying, There's no way in hell I'm going to go take cash out of a machine. Like, it's, how's it going to even count it right? I, it, just, it was mind blowing. <laughs> But you look and you fast forward a decade later, nobody was going into a bank anymore. I mean, my bank doesn't even exist anymore. But with USAA, it's, it's all online. And they get consistently some of the highest marks in customer service. So when you think here's a bank that doesn't have a physical space, and yet people love them. Well, then guys, that trend was always going to come for apartment industry. It always was. And we were expecting it. And we've been expecting it for a while. And I do think this accelerates. At the same time, there's the concept of the long tail, right? And so, who on this call knows that Netflix still has a mail by DVD business? They still do. They'd love to get rid of it. The problem is they have a le- legit clientele. There are two million, two and a half million paying customers right now that still prefer to be mailed a DVD. So the change is coming, and I think it's inevitable. But that change does not happen overnight. It's not a light switch. You don't one day just wake up and say, well, no more. It's all self-guided. It's all virtual. Of course it's not because people (laughs) go at a different level. So I think that change is here. And the optionality is why we've had to move. But there are people that are going to say, I don't. I want to come in and I want you to show it to me. So I think the challenge on us is to be ready for that move to the future, the ATM, but also be ready for the person that's going to come in and say, yeah, I don't want to go show myself around. I want to come in and talk to you about the community. And so we've got to really be ready to do both. The comments,
2: the comments are pure gold. I just want to yeah. call that out really quickly. There's been some really good comments um, on this discussion. so. <laughs>
3: Yeah. I, you know, I'm always happy to be the grumpy old guy that'll get the comments going. It's exciting. Justin <laughs> do you want to weigh in on that?
1: Yeah, you know the the uh, we always talk with our developers about uh, the leasing office being the retail center uh, of the project, and um, that retail center of the project um, requires. E- it, it, it needs to change like retail has changed in general. So whereas it was brick and mortar, and that's really how the real estate industry is is set upon is this brick and mortar experience. It's now becoming more of an Amazon-like experience. And like Amazon has one of the ugliest websites I've ever seen, but like the the technology of it is just so, so good. And like none of us in marketing... that we would ever deliver a website that looks like Amazon's. And yet we would love to have that same level of functionality. Um, You know, we, I, one of my partners, Heidi Turner, who's on this call, and that's why I'm mentioning her name. She's really annoying about making us try new things um, really early on. And like, it's very disruptive to our internal environment um, because it's, out of the box and you know she had us on Rently a year and a half ago screwing around with that uh, (laughs) trying to make it work Um, and it was it was difficult and then as soon as the pandemic hit we were ready to roll it out across our entire portfolio in the first 30 days Um, and that's a real success for us and a win for us. And being able to make that switch from the brick and mortar type establishment over to a digital is as is something that we're all going to have to do. And, and I really like the term, the optionality that Darren brought out, like we, you know, having the virtual side, having the unattended tours, all of that stuff has to be done and having a great integrated online experience Um, which we still haven't completely figured out because nothing integrates with one another. So that's, that's kind of our perspective.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to move into uh, alignment and uh, that's a broad term, but between operations and marketing Um, it's, it's one of the harder things I think for any company, when you look at, you know, departments, there's always not lines per se, but certainly, you know, core skill sets and, um, even vernacular, things like that, that uh, that you adopt and get used to. And there's been so much change in the marketing side of things, at least from my perspective, over the last 10 years in this industry. And so it's a lot just for the marketers to keep up, much less, you know, on the operating side. Darren, we've had, you know, a couple of fun back and forths. And, and when we met with your team, you talking about that, your feelings on marketing, how it's changed, how it's improved, and where there's still challenges. So um, I I first want to ask, over the last six months, or maybe you could just say in 2020, uh, do you feel like COVID, the the climates you guys are dealing with, the change in the industry, is is actually bringing operators and marketers closer together, um, forcing you to have more conversations, alignment? Do you think it's kind of just the way it's it's been? Um, I doubt it's. I hope it hasn't like worse evolved. But uh, you know, with all the conversations about expectations, performance. Uh, budgets that are constant um, in this environment, how has that affected uh, kind of those two key departments within uh, your portfolios? Darren, you want to start?
3: Yeah, I'd be happy to. I mean, I'll I'll answer it a little backwards, sorry, but you and I have had this conversation a lot. Look, from a third-party perspective, I mean, the first thing, first and foremost, We, but mostly our clients, want to spend the least amount of marketing dollars to fill the building at the highest rents. I mean, that's really what they're shooting for, right? Marketing is something they're excited about and they're passionate about, but it's still nebulous. They're not marketing experts. And so I think one of the biggest challenges we have between operations and marketing, and we're really trying to get, you know, to make strides here. But I used the restaurant analogy the other night. If the server brings out your food and it's cold, they're going to blame the kitchen. Oh, let me go check with the kitchen. You've actually done no help to your restaurant, right? The the person eating is still happy with the meal. And you've just said, well, maybe the kitchen's not good. So what I find is, you know, I don't want to spend more additional marketing dollars until I am certain that we are maximizing our current leads, right? And that's a process issue. And I can tell you... 80% of the time, my guess is we're probably not doing enough with the current leads, right? Our leasing consultants, like the folks that walk in the door, they don't like the follow-up. And so thankfully in this new age, we have more ability through several different systems. We use Knock. There's a lot out there. We can actually really watch and shine a spotlight on how we're taking that lead through the process. And to me, that's the most important part. So I think what happens is you're on a client call. And as soon as exposure gets over 8%, everybody's freaking out. And we say, let's not freak out, right? I mean, that doesn't help anybody. Let's have a process. But I find that our regionals will say, okay, let me dig in because we tell them dig in on the stuff we could control first. Before we spend another three grand, let's go. Are we doing everything we can? Does the property look great? And are we doing a great job with the person that comes in? Are we following up? And read. sometimes we dig in and we go, man, our follow-up doesn't seem to be as on point as it could be. Let's focus here before we spend the money. But now what have we just done? We've essentially told the owner, sorry, we weren't doing our job as well as we should be. And, but that's what we should be telling. them. And I think the fear that I've tried to get our regionals to overcome, I tell our owners right out of the gate, we're going to screw things up. I mean, the bottom line is we have 12 and $14 an hour folks on the front lines. They're going to screw things up no matter how good our processes are. So my commitment to them is I'm going to raise my hand immediately look I think we can do a better job here like give me two weeks to focus here and then if that's not working now I have the credibility to come to you and say guys I think it's either a pricing issue or a marketing issue because we've controlled the things that we can control and to me that is the danger right I don't want my operators going and say well it must be marketing It's probably not, right? I mean, we've got leads. Let's make sure we're really maximizing those. So has that changed in COVID? Maybe. I think the pressure's there more. I think everybody's uncertain. We don't know if there's going to be people still coming in the door. We don't know if people are going to start getting out of apartments and you're going to have 10 people living back with their, I mean, I just saw a stat the other day, the most people under 30 of all time are now living at home, right? So that, is that going to continue? And how does marketing change that? So I know that was a circuitous answer. And I'm sorry if I didn't answer, but to me, that's the tension and my commitment to our clients and owners is to say, Hey, we're going to shine a light. Even if it's us screwing something up, don't put us in the guillotine because you want a company that's going to raise their hand instead of spending another 3000. If we can, and then once I can look you in the eye and say, we're doing a great job with our current leads and it's not working, then now it's time to go find a new way. And we can dual-track those. You can always be looking for innovative ways to go get them. But I don't want to spend that money until I am confident we've done everything we can with the current leads.
0: Well, I applaud you for all of that, Darren. That was great perspective, and I think you did pronounce circuitus correctly. Uh, I well, would say – Two tries. David last <laughs> you said circuitus. I think. Leps, Leps. Leps. I think you recovered, but um, – <laughs> And he brought that word up. Um, Joey, I'm going to ask you to be patient. I can tell you're chopping at the bit to, to get into this one. But um, uh, what what are your thoughts along uh, these lines between, you know, operations and marketing alignment?
1: Yeah, you know, my company is, was really founded with creative marketing first. It's really inbred into uh, our operations. Um, and, So it is uh, a real partnership that happens between our operations and marketing. Um, And then we really try to be thought leaders for our clients uh, in the market, well, in in all senses. Um, And so we were able to enter kind of this, uh, this particular issue with the pandemic with a real strong approach saying, this is what we need to do. We're going to do it. We'll let you know, and we'll we'll keep you apprised as how we're um, how we're progressing. And in that, we've been we've tasked ourselves with with learning as absolutely much as possible. Now, of course, we have to defend those decisions to our clients, um, and and you know, there's been things that work and things that don't work. Uh, previously, like we used to be able to use a fairly narrow scope of tools to fill our buildings. And because things have changed so much, we've had to use a more broad uh, approach to that. And, you know, Digible has been a great partner in that in just trying A-B testing so much stuff to figure out what works, um, that that's been a, a, a huge addition for us. But even convincing people that they needed to invest in Digible uh, as a partner, you know, we we had to tell them this is the, the the best thing you can do right now. So do it. And, um, you know, we had great adoption across the board. Um, So I I think that's, that's really, you know, us being a thought leader and, you know, them expecting us to lead with, um, being the expert in the, in the market is, is how we've kind of accomplished this. And it's, and it's worked out really well. Appreciate that. Joelle,
2: what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I, I, I echo a lot of the thoughts of, the, um, of my fellow panelists. I will tell you that it is definitely um, a, a tricky thing in third party to hold your teams accountable for their lead nurturing activities um, while driving community performance. You know, when a community is, when a client gets involved, typically a community is not performing well and you have to take action pretty quickly. And uh, digging into what they're doing wrong and, you know, training and um, really fixing bad habits is a hard thing to do pretty quickly. And so marketing usually ends up being the answer to, you know, it's the solution to the problem, even though it's really not the solution to the, the true problem. Um, We, I would say our operations and marketing team do a really good job collaborating and working as a partnership. We rolled out a program called 6033 a year ago, and it's really focused on once we drive leads to the site, what are the benchmarks for those leads as they progress through the lead nurturing funnel until they walk in the door and lease. So we have very specific benchmarks that help our regionals understand where there could potentially be a problem. Is it closing once they're actually at the site? Is it follow-up and getting them in the door? Is it just, you know, getting to the phone and asking for the appointment when the lead first comes in? So I think it is having, um, being able to shine a light on all of those areas of lead nurturing to help the regionals not have to dig and not know where to look, but narrow down where they think the problem is instantly. Um, I think the other thing that we really want to focus on next for RKW and marketing is how can we automate some of that for our team? How can we take, you know, kind of supplement their efforts? We've been looking at, I don't know if anyone here has worked with me lease. Um, It's somewhat of an automated, it's like AI lead nurturing, Um, Can that run in the background? Can email campaigns run in the background to support follow-up efforts for our teams?
3: Joya, I just want to say I love the way you use the word lead nurturing. You did it on the run through the other day. And as I was on my little diet tribe, I almost used that term. And then I thought, oh, no, that's Joya's term. I can't do it while she's on the call. (laughs) Kind. But I do want to say, even though I exhibited self-control after this call, I'm gonna use it with impunity like I invented it. I just want to warn you <laughs> that I've now I've co-opted it, but I didn't do it in front of you. Thank you. Well, yeah, I, I'm gonna be taking the
0: optionality. So and and Chastin, I'm sure you already thrown one out there that we all need to rally, but <laughs> <laughs> everybody laid late to at least one term that we want to borrow. So that's great. Um I wanna ask you guys about budgeting. So I had the little comic strip before, I'm not gonna lose the opportunity to, to jump on that one with you guys, but um specifically for marketing uh how do you guys approach it um when do you involve marketing um do you think that they're involved enough and uh i'm going to use a a fun i guess uh, it wasn't a quote but just uh something we can all appreciate um and this is coming from a consultant we were working with early early on Lane Williams, when we first got into the industry And we asked her this question because we were working on our technology, Fiona, and trying to figure out, you know, just what are some of the basics that we should know about how budgets are planned uh, before we start trying to build this thing out. And she said, well, it's pretty simple. If you have a great year, you get no money. And if you have a bad year, you get all the money. So uh, I don't know how much that rings true with you guys. as you look ahead and you're preparing for next year's budgets for your properties. um, But I'd be really curious to know, and I know this may be pared down, but Again, how you guys approach it with your marketing budgets, and when is marketing
1: involved? Uh, I'll I'll just lead on that one real quick, uh, and and be transparent in that you know our marketing budgets uh, have traditionally we primarily lease up all of our properties from brand new from construction. Uh, we don't do a ton of takeover, um, so our marketing budget is often uh, the leftovers of a lease up budget that gets adopted as you stabilize, and then people stop thinking about it. And this is the first year that we really had to develop uh, an intelligent leasing budget for a stabilized property. And, um, And that is finally getting rolled into our comprehensive budgeting. So that was a major change for us this year that it didn't just get a You know, a a three percent addition to it, and then you stop thinking about it. Uh, This is like, okay, how many impressions do we need to get, and how it's the cost per impression, uh, and how are we going to get that, and how how is that going to flow all the way down to the lease? Um, So it's a it's a big change for us this year, but um, it's actually we developed a really good tool, and we're really excited about it, and we also appreciate. Digital's partnership and helping us figuring out the the digital spend part of that because uh, we're very reliant upon it. So, yeah.
0: Awesome. Uh, Gary, you get to back to me at this time. Joy has been too patient,
2: so I'm going to let Joy jump in. Yeah, no problem. I would say, first of all, thank you to Digital as well because they have you guys have been great in helping us. With budget preparation, I know Sarah is um, very detailed, my digital marketing manager on my team. Um, We are lucky enough that we get to write all of the advertising and um, budgets for our communities and we have input on all of the remaining marketing items. Our teams really look to us, our regionals look to us to be the experts to help them plan that out. Um, What we've identified is that we really want to change the timing for when we are inputting our our information. all of our owners have different deadlines for when their budgets are due and when our teams, our operations teams get started, it, it you know, it's very fluid. So our goal next year is to have them finish their anticipated, you know, move-ins and move-outs so we can then put our numbers in based on what their projected goals are. Um, Sarah's been really good at kind of looking at how we performed last year, trends, expectations, and seasonality, but we really need to align with what operations is putting in place for their goals in order to have even smarter budgets. Uh, The other thing we want to do is, and this is going to be an interesting thing to try to approach in third party, but Looking at flexible budgets and maybe not being able to take the entire annual spend and use that and flex in and out as needed, but maybe we start quarterly, um, instead of having a fixed monthly budget.
3: Yeah, That was all good stuff. I don't know how much I have to add. I would tell you, and this is a bit of a cop out, but read truly every client project is so different. I can tell you what it should be, of course. Uh, And we want marketing involved early and often and even being part of the pitch during budget to say, here's our approach for next year. So that's how it should be, but each one is very different. And I would tell you, I think I made this joke the other day, when a client tells us we want an innovative marketing solution, what that really means is they want a free marketing solution. That's the <laughs> innovative means free. They don't, they don't say here's like $20,000, go find me something innovative. It's, hey, is there anything out there? Like, couldn't you just post this on Instagram for free and it will work? And so we have, part of that is the education process, right? I mean, the bottom line, is we're in one of those few industries where our core clientele is getting we're getting older and they're staying the same age. So I'm, I'm well past my apartment living days. And so is most of my team and so is most of our clients. And so I find that marketing's where they do a great job and digital you've helped, it's just educating, right? Everybody says they know what SEO is. They really don't, uh, including me, right? If you ask me right now to give a definition, I'd get about one minute in before the comments said, why'd you guys invite this to the guy? (laughs) We deal that with all the time. And so we look at now we become chief explainers. I want our clients. They don't have to be experts, but I want them to understand it so that we're making good decisions together. And so that's where marketing has become crucial. Ten years ago you didn't have to do that. It wasn't hard to explain, put it in apartment guide, they pick it up at the store and we put balloons up. That was easy. Now it's a whole nother level. So to me, marketing is at their most useful and advantageous just by helping us, our clients, understand.
0: Well, I know we got to move to breakouts here a second. I just squeezed in one more question, just ask you guys to keep your answers brief because I want to give people a chance to, to connect with you guys directly. And that's around creative. Um, what also came up, and all of you showed a great amount of conviction behind um, the people factor, uh, in particular with third-party management. So I want to give you a chance to speak to that, but I'm going to connect it to marketing because, you know, if I'm in your shoes with, again, this, uh, and it's been this way for some time, but all these new apartments coming online, everybody, like, it's an amenities race, all this stuff how you differentiate yourselves like a property level. It feels to me like it's almost like 10,000 doppelgangers, right? It's like, how how do you really establish, you know, your brands um, given the amount of competition? And I feel like this leads to people, but I don't know how you necessarily market your people to a
3: prospect.
0: It's, you know, they, that's what happens once, you know, the lead walks in the door. So talk to me a little bit about how you're differentiating your brands um, at a property level. Uh, to contribute to all the amazing growth that
2: all three of your portfolios have If I understand your question correctly, I mean, we, as a third-party property management company, we really don't push RKW out to the forefront publicly. Um, Graystar, yeah, I- everybody knows Graystar, but we're not really trying to market RKW to the uh, prospect. So for us, it's really about the individual brand, and um, that oftentimes comes down to where we can go with brand development. Um, And that is also tied back to budget. We've had some clients that definitely believe in brand development using um, good creative agencies to develop brands like Arlo, for example, is a brand in Charlotte. And it was very out of the box. It was, you know, not all of these canned iStock images with millennials clinking a glass with their beards. Um, It was a very offbeat brand that spoke directly to the prospect. Um, Quirky, even funny, and a little bit off base sometimes. And we saw great success with that brand making connections, people wanting to follow them on social media who didn't necessarily need to rent or want to rent an apartment. Um, So I think that having really great creative agencies help you develop that brand is, is one way. And storytelling or trying to... Uh, not fit that
1: typical apartment mold is, is one of the ways to do it. Um, our, our brand generation uh, starts at, um, we, we're primarily get our projects, as I said earlier, in the development process. So we start development consulting oftentimes before the project is even designed. Uh, so we start that process on by identifying the end user Before the building is even built and we help the developer determine unit mix, amenities, finish levels, all of that kind of stuff. So the brand of each individual building is started and walked through the entire development process so that when you deliver the building and its marketing on day one, it is screaming its brand. Now, that's much harder to do when you take over a project that is stabilized, unless you have a significant budget to do so. But it's so valuable when you can do that. And we're really focused on making sure that the brand doesn't stop at marketing. It's, it's, um, uh, it's clear when you are um, when you see the property physically, when you walk inside the apartment, the experience you have with the uh, leasing agents—it's—it's it's throughout the entire process.
0: Yeah, well, that total experience
3: from this perspective.
0: And Darren, why don't you take us on here before we move into breakups?
3: I'll keep it short. Uh, no, I, it's not a sophisticated answer, Reed, but I think that we're a—you know—in real estate, you're your anchor is location, right? I mean, just like any service industry, how do you pick your dry cleaner? You want one within five minutes and you want them to do a good job and you want them to be friendly. So to me, we're location-based. Marketing is even more impactful if you're Coca-Cola trying to get market share and you can buy them anywhere. But the truth is somebody's looking in an area close to where they're working, they're looking for a certain rent and they get down to five to 10 choices. That it. As big as real estate is, we're really down into that five or 10 choices. And then what is the differentiator? Guys, to me, the differentiator is still service. That service doesn't have to be face-to-face, but the differentiator is not the building anymore. We talk to developers all the time, and I love our developers. We have one of the sexiest lease-ups in Dallas right now. I love it. I want to live there. But the truth is, as great as that building is, the the comps have good buildings too, right? Two-inch or three-inch granite or quartz or is this backsplash? They're all nice. And so the differentiator is guys, these folks aren't buying a taco. They're not buying a t-shirt. They're choosing to live there and to fall in love and raise kids. And that is the biggest decision they'll make all year. And so they have to walk away, whether that is virtually or rent, but they have to walk away saying, I'm going to choose to live here. If you screw up your t-shirt and you bought it on Amazon, you don't love it, It cost you 10 bucks, man. Big deal. You can't screw up this choice. And so what they're really looking for is confidence. And of course, the building has to be great and all that. But the true brand is, do I walk out feeling like these people care about me? And that if I have problems, they'll be taken care of because you're going to have problems. You can't live at a place a year and something doesn't go wrong. And so to me, how do we make sure that brand follows them out? When well, we have a star leasing, it's all that's so easy. We have four or five that every time there's a good review, it's them being singled out. I can't scale them. I can't replicate them. We're trying, well, but how do we take that? I want them to walk away saying, if I live here, I'm going to be happy. And that is the brand that we're trying to apply. Or do I think we're nailing it? Do I think we have some <laughs> do we have our sense that we put in the model and make them feel that way? now? I don't think so. But that is our, that is the goal. And when we do that right, everybody wins.
0: Yeah. Well, it really resonates. I know with me and David, uh, Nicole, all digital, but um, we feel like in a way you, you have that same, I mean, it's not a perfect comparison, but so many choices of digital partners, um, you know, and vendors, I guess at large, and it's the experience, you know, it's, it's overlooked. I mean, we're, we're often managing and commoditized space, you know, Facebook app, right? Google, you know, that kind of stuff. And you can go to anybody for that. Um, but it, it is what the, the full experience of that. And then, of course, uh, the strategy inside. Of it. But um, thanks so much. I thought this was terrific. Uh, you guys were super candid and, and just have so much uh, experience to offer. And there's a lot of phrases I think people have taken away from this that we'll be using, uh, you know, starting tomorrow, or maybe right after we get off. Yeah.